With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Happy Monday, boys and girls. I am who I always am, and joining me today is one of my favorite people to talk to. Mr. Kevin DeVry, how are you, sir? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you very much for the kind intro. Glad to be back. Uh, allegedly, this won't be a three-hour show, but we'll see. We can make no promises, Kev. This is the <laughs> thing. We can make no promises. I'd like to thank Mike Nevin for, you know, second week in a row, Mike, just holding me up, delaying the start of the show. But, you know. Big time, you, 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 you do you. Yeah, this is it. See, this is the thing. I'm old hat at this point. Mike is the, the big name transfer that was brought in. And at this point, he's just, you know, rocking around the place, doing as he feels, stealing my producer. You know, but I'm a team player. So that's okay. Seriously, well, much though, like Danny sure. Rose, you're a team player that does air his grievances publicly. Absolutely. Oh, you better believe it. <laughs> but in all seriousness, everybody should make sure they check out Retro Reds. Um, they'll be out soon. Mr. Drinkle. When will those podcasts be available for people? Uh, that's a good question. Probably later this week. Uh, so there I'll you probably go, guess Thursday, Friday. Thursday, Friday. Make sure you listen. Mike Nevin's one of the best when talking about Liverpool Football Club. Kev, I know you don't care, but it's 15 years to the day since Liverpool went to Istanbul and completed the greatest comeback in Champions League uh, history. Um, well, maybe the second best now after the Barcelona game, but... You know, it's nice. It's 15 years. It doesn't seem like 15 years. Uh, that time has passed very, very quickly. I would like a refund on some of it, uh, especially <laughs> on some of the football that I've been forced to watch. But at this point, I think we're all so desperate for anything that we'd watch any kind of football. So we wanted to have a little talk about, obviously, the ongoing um, situation with the Premier League and now, Bundesliga is back. Have you have you watched much of the Bundesliga? What's your thoughts? Yeah, so um, Jamie Smith, who I'm sure you've been on the Premier League show with at some mm. point, um, tweeted at me the Tuesday before the return of the Bundesliga. And he was like, we should do a podcast that's like Bundesliga for beginners, where we don't know a whole lot. We have one expert on, and then we just talk about the Bundesliga. So by Thursday, we had a podcast. So not only have I been watching the Bundesliga, we have a whole new show and a whole new channel on EPL Roundtable called Bundesliga for Beginners, at Bundesliga Pod on Twitter. Uh, so yes, have certainly been watching it, have really been enjoying it. Uh, talked about on that show a little bit how uh, odd some of the social distancing measures are once the teams are in the stadium. Because teams are socially distanced from themselves on the bench, but then they go on the pitch and they're there with 21 other people. Um, so I'm not really sure how effective that is. The elbow celebrations instead of high fives or hugs, not really sure how effective that is. But uh, as far as we know, there weren't any new reported cases in the interim, so I guess it's working. 
Um, the first week, a couple of the first goals, it felt like the players didn't know how to react, but there were some big matches this last weekend, and, and we saw a lot more uh, excitement, crowd noise, not crowd noise, all that stuff. But just football being back at all is obviously a delight. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's nice to see football, and there's been some, you know, some good goals and, and decent moments, but I'm finding the lack of crowd weird, and the piped-in noise isn't helping me at all. Um, I watched most of the games the first weekend, didn't really enjoy them. Um, I remember watching the Juve Inter game before the lockdown started, mm-hmm. and it, it really threw me off. It was just so weird, especially that, which is the biggest game in Italian football. Um, it, it just was just like a training game because there was no fans there. And I, I think the Premier League is going to be the same. Yeah, it certainly seems like even if the Premier League is able to come back, it will be without fans. Uh, I do think that part of why a lot of people feel a little off about the Bundesliga is also that there isn't a huge level of familiarity there. Um, Like people might know a team or two, but uh, not really be that engaged. I do think if the Premier League came back with all of the storylines, it would still be really engaging for people because, you know, there's the race for fourth or is it the race for fifth since City's cast appeal is going to happen before the season returns and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like people will find ways to make it interesting, regardless of whether or not the actual product itself is interesting. But it'll still be the players you love, the clubs you love uh, w- without fans. Yes, there is a, a weird element to it emotionally, both viewing and obviously for people that would have been able to be there but now aren't. Um, you're also seeing the really weird home away splits in the Bundesliga right now. Uh, we talked about this on the show yesterday. 16.6% of home teams have won since the return of the Bundesliga. The average before that was 48%. So the home advantage element has taken a very sharp nosedive. So you'd have to imagine the Premier League clubs that had a lot of away matches left kind of benefit. The ones that have a lot of home matches left probably to their detriment, obviously small sample size and all that. But it makes sense that without the home crowd kind of bolstering you, without even your home routine, even though you're playing at air quotes home, um, things are going to be a little bit weird. But yeah, I agree. It'll be it'll be interesting. It does look like the Premier League will come back at some point. But yeah, without fans, it'll it'll hit people, you know, weird ways. Maybe just mute it <laughs> and, and kind of close your eyes, click your heels a few times and wish you were there. But I, I think... Uh, We'll, we'll certainly have a lot more to talk about once the Premier League is back. And once those places start to settle, like who's in the relegation fight, who's chasing that top five, potentially top seven or eight, if you're looking at Europa League spots, obviously Liverpool running away with the title. But I still think a lot of the intrigue will return as soon as it does. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm a bit I'm a bit torn on the subject. I think like there's a number of teams with nothing to play for. And I wonder if there'll be a lack of intensity. There's been a lack of intensity in a number of the, the Bundesliga games, and that, that league is a lot tighter than the Premier League. So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. It, it really is. Um, right, we wanted to get into uh, talking about a couple of things specifically. So, the first thing we've got is the idea of the extension for the out-of-contract players, because obviously... A number of players' contracts are going to end before the season is over. And I suppose clubs have two options and then potentially a third. So option A is just to let the player go and finish the season without them. Option B is to extend them for a full year. 
and have them, you know, sit around next season. These are players whose contracts were running down. Clubs weren't going to extend. Players weren't going to extend. Player would then be under the impression that they're not going to be involved next year. Now, Liverpool have two, uh, Pedro Chiravella, Chiravella and Adam Lallana. Now, both of those players were going to leave this summer. Neither of them is really part of the the core group. Um, but rumours are Liverpool did offer them both one-year extensions. They've both turned them down. Understandable, I think, in both cases. Um, but the possibility does does lie there that they could do maybe an extension to the end of the season. But that kind of messes things up then in terms of what happens for that player moving forward. Yeah, so this is a really weird situation. You mentioned a couple at Liverpool. Tottenham, obviously, in the same situation with Jan Vertonghen. Um, <clears throat> so, yes, uh, according to the Premier League and the FA, players can sign an extension beyond the 30th of June uh, with their clubs until whenever the end of the 1920 campaign ends up being. Um, but they have to have all of that paperwork signed by the 23rd. So, you know, what's that, about a month from today as we record? So... Not a lot of time to get that sorted, but you raise a really good point about leaving the players in a weird position. In fact, it's probably why we may have seen Vertonghen in his last match ever for for Tottenham is because he wanted a two-year contract from us. We're only offering one-year rolling, which is the same reason why Lorente last, left last summer. Whoops. Um, and yeah, it's it's hard to say, come back and play for us at what could be reduced wages because there still hasn't been an agreement on that for the remainder of the season during a pandemic and risk potentially a two-year contract at a club in Italy, which seems to be where the most interest is at the moment. Um, so, yeah, it, it does seem really strange. If, if you were a player, why would you mm. sign up for that, uh, especially if you're at a club that isn't going to achieve anything this season? But I, I do think it's a good option. It, it avoids a lot of headaches um, if players do sign that. Because you could just lose a lot of players. I know, for example, uh, Newcastle, Jake was bringing this up on the Premier League show yesterday. Newcastle have 10 players that are either on loan or have ex- expiring contracts, which is incredible. That yeah. is almost a third of your squad, more than a third. So, yeah, the, this is going to cause a lot of problems. But I think the fact that they could at least agree that you can extend just through the end of the season is going to benefit a lot of people. Uh, you mentioned being able to extend people long term. Chelsea just signed two players um, fully, I think, in Giroud. And was it Caballero? I think yeah, they had two. Still, yeah. Yeah. Willian is still up in the air for them. So, yeah, people are going to probably end up in all three buckets, as you say. But. Yeah, I, I do think it was a good thing that they were at least able to come to a uh, sporting agreement that if players are willing to stay, they can stay through the end of the season and, and not have to re-up for the whole year. Yeah, like in the case of Vertonghen, he's almost old enough now to go and play for uh, Antonio Conte's Inter Milan. Um, and like you said, he's going to have... <laughs> just he's about. Have an, just about. He's just on the, on the cusp <laughs> of, of entering those, those prime years for Conte. Um, but... It's going to be interesting to see, like, you know, like, with Liverpool on the cusp of winning the title, you know that Lalana's going to want to stay around and, and get his, you know, he, he'll get his medal either way, but he's going to want to be there because he'll have to be in the picture. You know, his whole career is basically on being in, in the photograph. Um, if you ever watch a Liverpool goal scored when he's on the pitch, no matter where he is when the goal is scored. He could be on the other side of the pitch, 40 yards away. 
he is one of the first two guys to the goal scorer to make sure he's in the picture. Um, so he'll want to be there. Um, Chiravella will probably walk. I don't. I don't think he's he's going to be uh, you know entitled to a, a title medal anyway. So I can see him walking. It's obviously you know Spurs are still in, in the mix to try and get a Europe a Champions League spot for next year. Uh, failing that a Europa League spot. Now, personally, I think if they don't get Champions League, they're better off not getting any European football. I think they'd be in a much stronger situation than to just focus in on the league and go all out uh, for next season in the league. But, you know, Vertonghen's been at Spurs a long time. He's obviously been very committed to the club. So it would be interesting to see if he's willing to potentially risk that that next contract two, three years somewhere else to give Spurs six or eight weeks and, and try and secure Champions League football for next year. Given how he's been treated, um, I, I don't know that he will be. Um, but, it, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing to look at. And I, I think there's a lot of clubs like Newcastle, are the funniest. But they're the funniest for so many reasons. I mean, Newcastle, just a funny club. <laughs> um, now, they may not be funny anymore if this if this takeover goes through and they all of a sudden have Man City-type money. But as long as they have Steve Bruce, they'll spend it badly. Um, the next topic we have, then, is the actual transfer window itself. Now, there's an awful lot of talk around how this is going to work because, obviously, it was due to open June 1st for domestic transfers and then July 1st for European transfers, and it was mm-hmm. going to you know, it was going to run till the end of August this time, so that was obviously going to be a plus. Um, now though that can't be the case because obviously then you'd have players you know clubs going out to try and buy players while games are going on and in the Premier League it could be quite a useful tool if Spurs are playing whoever and the, the big game and they need the three points you know, let's throw in a bid for their best player and try and unsettle the poor fella <laughs> you know or because you know like City would do things like that United would do things like that Um so how do they make it work? I mean, I've, I've said before, I'm in favour of finishing this season, then opening the transfer window up until Christmas, and then starting the new season in January. That's what I would want, would want to see happen. And then you run the season right into the... You, you have your European Championships and your, your Copa America next winter, November, December. And then you start the season again in January, February, and then it runs all the way into the World Cup in Qatar in 2022. And then you can figure it out from there. Which is in December, yeah. Which is in December. So you line all the seasons up so that, you know, the World Cup is meant to be at the end of the season. That's how it's designed, and that's always been the case in our lifetimes. So uh, the idea of stopping seasons so everybody can go and play in a World Cup and what if players get injured and... It's just going to, and nobody's going to come back in good shape. Like the the teams that will benefit from that are the teams that don't have a ton of international players. The ones that do, like us and you and and City, and that will be screwed. Um, so I, that's what I'm in favour of. I'm in favour of you know, as soon as the season op- uh, season closes, open the transfer window and open it fully. All transfers, domestic and European and and global. And then run it right up until... And even if the season, next season, didn't start until mid-February, if you wanted us to do the AFCON in January, 
and then start the season in mid-February. I'm fine with that. That's after that works. You know, you can just time it then that it runs mid-February to early October. You give the players a little bit of a break. You do the European Championships and, and the Copa America. But if the season does start in September or October, as has been suggested, surely we have to have a transfer window that just stays open, um, at least for the first part of the season. Mm. Yeah, so we, we obviously talked about that on the Premier League show as well as news has kind of trickled out. And the first one I think we did, we talked about trying to to align with that um, World Cup schedule, although I do feel like it's kind of giving FIFA a get-out-of-jail pass for all the bad press that they would have gotten um, for putting it in the winter because they chose a place that literally couldn't have it in the summer. But uh, the further we get, the the less likely it seems that they're going to adjust the entire footballing calendar just to match it. I, I agree with you. I think what's probably going to end up happening is that the window is just going to be open during the season, not the remainder of this one, but the start of the next one. So currently sounds like if they are actually able to restart in June, that the season may run through August, <laughs> the, the earliest date reported already to start the 2020 season is September. So there's a chance there's going to be like a three to five week gap between the two. And that's obviously not anywhere near long enough to get all of the transfers sorted, uh, especially as like a lot of clubs will probably need the money right now um, to just kind of stay afloat post COVID and all of that stuff. So I, I think you're probably right. And, and this was largely what was agreed on the show yesterday was that they're probably going to start it basically as soon as this season is over and then run it maybe through the end of what would have been the January window. Yeah. Um, but that season would already be in progress and then just close it then. Obviously, that raises a lot of interesting dilemmas. Like, if you have a particularly bad loss, and you took off one of your best players to try to shore up the back just to keep it from being more embarrassing, do they show up with their agent the next day and be like, yeah, I'm not feeling this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to leave. You brought up the Manchester City scenario. Would they not just try to buy the best players from their opponents? Obviously, is a thing that could happen there as well. So, I mean, player power would increase drastically um, if something like that were to happen where where the season was open. So uh, I haven't followed the, the English game long enough to remember a time when there weren't transfer windows and deadline days. Apparently, this used to work. Um, yeah, I assume it, used, it, was... it used to be that you could, the, tra- the transfer window, the deadline was like the early March. So you'd have, you could buy players right up until early March and then it would, it would end and then you're locked in with that squad for the last you know two months two and a half months as it would be um it's it's an interesting situation and I, you know it, you do run the risk of players demanding out at the drop of a hat you do run the risk of agents starting to interfere with things and you know demanding big new contracts for players that maybe are only a year or two into a contract but have taken a taken a jump in terms of their production and all of a sudden well we want a new deal we know we've got three and a half years left on this deal but we want a new deal or we're gonna you know we're going on strike or we're you know we're gonna demand a move whatever it is uh you do run that risk but at the same time it could just be an interesting fix to things because we often see teams, smaller teams in particular, who get a couple of injuries and that's their season screwed. 
and it, it can put them in a relegation battle that they don't get out of. And maybe this gives them the opportunity to be more competitive. It will also expose the really stupid clubs, like the ones that just don't know what they're doing. I include West Ham. I largely include Everton. I, of course, include United. The clubs that don't really have much of a clue of what they're doing on a day-to-day basis, especially from the transfer side of things. If you look at the current United squad, it's pretty clear what they need. They need midfielders. They need a quick centre-back to go with, with Slabhead. And they maybe need a more of a target man number nine that they can bring in off the bench. Like if they could find an Ollie Giroud type, that's what they need. They're going into this summer, though, looking at Jaden Sancho and and Jack Grealish, players with the X factor, which whatever the fuck that is, that's what they're they're looking for. They're looking at players they don't need. So what would happen is there's no window. You can just buy as you want up until the end of January. So say in, you know, mid-February, or no, sorry, mid, mid-October, mid let's just say there's rumours that Harry Kane isn't happy. Now, Harry Kane is obviously a better striker than anybody they have at United at the moment, but they don't need him. Martial is, is very good. Rashford is very good. Greenwood is going to be great. They have strikers. They're fine. They need that older, different type, you know, maybe like a Mandzukic type. But they don't need a Harry Kane. But lo and behold, Harry Kane is unhappy. And nothing will do the money they have to have him. Mm. And they'll start throwing in bids and throwing in bids. And as the more Spurs say no, like the dude who can't handle when the girl says no at the bar, they'll get more aggressive. They'll get bigger and louder and they'll start throwing in bigger and bigger bids. And all of a sudden, Harry Kane, who's maybe worth, what, 140, 150 million in the current, well, in in the... At least pre-virus, yeah. In the the pre-COVID era, in the Neymar era. um, All of a sudden, United are launching in 250 million. And look, we'll throw in this guy as well. And that guy happens to be Martial or Greenwood or whoever. Like, you, you just know somebody will do something really, really stupid. Or you'll get the guy who has the good couple of months. Like, there's always that guy that, that starts the season in unbelievable form. Far above, like, and he's 27, and he's been average his entire career. But he has two months where he is just gold. Everything is working. The flicks, the turns, scoring goals, he's creating goals. People are talking him up. He's winning a player of the player of the month award. And someone's gonna go, Oh yeah, let's lodge fifty million in for this guy who was worth mm-hmm. ten million two months ago. Because so, there's so always it's Bournemouth. <laughs> yeah, it, it, do you know what I mean? But like, let's say for example. Who's a decidedly average player out there? Like, let's let's say Theo Walcott. Not Theo, no, he's too old. Let's say... Oh, I don't know. Give me a name. Let, let, let's, say, mm-hmm. let's say Zaha, right? Let's say Zaha, who's 
a very, very gifted player, but he's decidedly average when you look at him over, a, over the course of a season. The, the production has never really reached the level of the talent. But let's say he comes out at the start of the season and he is just flat out the best guy in the league for two months. And he has eight to ten goals, six or seven assists, man of the match most weeks, dragging Palace up the league. Someone's going to turn around and go, oh, yeah, this is, this, is, this is what we've been waiting for with him. He's always been capable of this, but this is what we've been waiting for. And they lob in 80 million. And Palace are like, okay, bye, see you later. Thanks for the drama. And then he goes there and it res- res- re- <laughs> reverts back to the, you know, the five or six goals a season, the five or six assists a season. And that little period he had was just a fluke. We saw it with Lalana. When Lalana, the season before we signed him, he had a really good three months and was then garbage for the rest of the season. With us, he's had literally one good spell of about three months. And then he was garbage the rest of the season. And he's been garbage ever since. And he was garbage in his first two years as well. So he in his entire... Actually, it was just his first year. So in, in, in his entire Liverpool career, which is now, what, six years? He's had three good months. And yet there are still people who think, oh, if he could just stay fit and get back to what he was. But he never was that. That was a fluke. That and the one good period at Southampton are the only times in his career he's been any good. The same with Zaha. He has these little spurts where he goes two or three games, scores two or three goals, and people think, oh, he's starting to turn around now. We're seeing the real Zaha. Like Jack Grealish is another one of these guys. Born for match of the day in YouTube. But when you watch him play, (laughs) it doesn't match up. And we're going to see somebody do something stupid. If If there's a short window this year, if they just say, right, the season ends here, the new season starts here you've and the windows just to, yeah. you, you've got a month. Somebody is going to overspend massively on Jack Grealish. It might be us, because we know Levy hates missing out on people that he thought he could have gotten. Hence the signings of Lorente and then Mourinho way past both of their best. Yeah, but I, I can't see any world in which the tightest man in the history of the game thinks, oh yeah, 80 million on Jack Grealish is, is good business. There's resale value there, my friend. <laughs> you know, yeah. like... Well, I'm sure I we'll come know. to it later, but I doubt that that would be the price, but the whole market in general will probably be depressed. Anything over 30 million for Jack Grealish is too much. Before the virus. Oh, well, we certainly agreed two years ago. <laughs> you know, he's just... He's he's very talented and he's fun to watch. But look at the results with him in the team versus without him in the team. You know you know what the Ewing theory is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. remove your best player and then everybody else steps up. Yeah, and it's very much that situation at Villa. And it's not like he's good week to week. So, I don't know. Um, right. Kevin. If there's no window, mm-hmm. if there's just a moratorium on transfers, 
can't sign anybody. You can keep what you've got. If you've got a loan, you can extend it into the next season. But there's no new transfers. That's it. We're just going to roll into next season with the same squads. And in January, teams can start to buy. What teams, in your view, are in the best position? for Now, we can take Liverpool out of this, because I think Liverpool are the obvious answer as Mm. the team in the best situation. But who else do you think is in a really strong position going into next season? Yeah, so I kind of weighted this. So Liverpool actually weren't an easy layup for me, because I think if you're expecting a deep Champions League run and another Premier League title next season. Wow, I said another Premier League title. That must sound good, people on this Liverpool channel. Um, (laughs) Just because there's not a second striker. Well, hilarious for me as a Tottenham fan to slack Origi like that, uh, (laughs) considering what happened in the final. But uh, is Shakiri good enough to cover both wings? Is Naby Keita going to take a step up? Do you have an actual attacking midfielder? Um, if Ox can get back to his best in that regard. So I, I do think there are questions in the Liverpool squad. Yes, you're very well set up. But if the expectation was where you currently are, still a couple of question marks for me outside looking in. Um, far harsher on City, though, uh, in a similar situation where do we think that they would be second again next season if, say, Silva and Fernandinho are either both still there and a year older or neither still there since there were whispers about both considering retirement. Although I think Fernandinho might have signed an extension now that I think about it. But, uh, so yeah, Liverpool not as much of a slam dunk as uh, some may think. But uh, for me, I think, and I realize this is crazy considering how mad Frank Lampard was at the, Lampard? Is he French now? Uh, Frank Lampard was at the end of uh, the transfer window. But if their only loss is going to be Willian and all of their young players have another year to step up, I think Chelsea would be in a really good position, partially because they've literally already been through this. If you went to Chelsea and you were like, oh, you can't do any transfers this summer, they'll be like, we haven't done it for two windows in a row. So it's probably fine. Um, So I actually think they're really well set up. I think they have depth and youth all over the pitch. Um, Maybe the midfield could still do with a little zhuzhing. But, you know, uh, Jorginho is committed to staying there long-term. Conte is a question mark because apparently he doesn't really want to play during this pandemic, which you understand. We'll see how long that lasts. Obviously, that's an off-the-pitch issue. Um, But I feel like Barkley's been progressing. Still was the wrong move at the time, but that's fine. We didn't offer enough, so we went to Chelsea. Um, And then, obviously, you have RLC off the bench. Uh, The attacking positions are all flush with young talent. Uh, even if you lose Willian or or even potentially Pedro. So I think Chelsea are probably in the best position. And then if you want to look at the other end of the table, it really brings a bit of cognitive dissonance for me because I think Bournemouth are still fine. Yeah. Like Eddie Howe's fine. The squad is still really good. Like the squad is as good as they should be, which is probably like 12th-ish, like probably bottom half, but there's still a lot of talent there. Yes, they've had horrible buys from Liverpool uh, in Solanke and Ibe. And Ibe's apparently just going to walk um, after, what did they spend on him? 15 plus? 15 million, yeah, four years Oof. ago. So. Good deal. Good um, deal. Yeah. But, but still, the squad is still good. If there are no transfers, that means King stays. Um, apparently, a lot of top six clubs are sniffing around him, which I'm not surprised by. But he, he, well, actually, I'm a little surprised Doesn't by him. Doesn't score any much- goals, though. Yeah, he's just the depth option, really. Yeah, four um, goals a season from him. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of a weird one, to be honest. But I don't mind their wingbacks. I don't mind their center backs. We talked about the Mepham signing at the time. I know you you wanted them to sign uh, his his uh, former teammate. But yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But Mepham's absolutely fine for what he is. Um, Ramsdale's been doing a decent job. Obviously, Callum Wilson up front. If there's no exiting players, interested to see what would happen with, for example, Ryan Fraser. But he hasn't set the world alight this year after his incredible season last year. So uh, even though they're struggling currently in the relegation spaces, so obviously very fortunate that the season is likely to be played out because I don't think they'll be there by the end of the year. But you have a stable manager. You have a really talented squad that's been far underperforming. Maybe they've had some like niggling injuries. They've been able to sort those out. Um, I think Lewis Cook had just returned before the yeah. shutdown. Um, so you you pair him with Lerma. That's not a bad midfield pairing. So uh, yeah, at the higher end of the table, Chelsea at the lower end, Bournemouth. Leicester just missed the cut because another year on Jamie Vardy's age doesn't seem great. But I'm pretty sure he's still leading the league in goals, even though he hadn't scored in like two months. Well, well two months before, before all this. But, but uh, them as well would massively benefit from not losing people. Because people are, are trying to pick that squad apart to the bone. Um, so if there were no transfers, they'd really benefit from just being able to hang on to everybody. I agree with you 100% on Bournemouth. I think they've got a whole bunch of young talent. Next season, they'll have David Brooks back. He's their best player. And that's massive for them to get him back. Um, you mentioned Metham. They definitely bought... Like, Metham's good. There's no... Like, he's fine. But... Cons is better. They bought the wrong centre-back from 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 Brentford at the time. They also bought the wrong right-back from Luton this summer. They bought Jack Stacey. They should have bought James Justin. Um, they're just not very good at the transfer side of things. But they do have good players and good depth. Like, you mentioned Cook and Lerma. They also have Philip Billing, who's a good midfielder. So they've got three really nice options in the centre of the park. They've got Frazier, they bring back Brooks, they've got King, they've got Wilson, Aki and Metham. You'll you'd imagine Lloyd Kelly takes a significant step forward next season as well. I think Bournemouth will be fine. I think it would benefit them. The no-transfer rule would benefit them. I think Norwich would be another one that would benefit. Another year for mm. Max Ahrens, another year for Jamal Lewis. Um, ben On the like, no-outgoings aspect. Yeah, you know, Todd Cantwell. Get like those guys just having one another season of development, they'll all be a lot better. So you can imagine And probably worth like fifty to seventy five percent more. Exactly. The next window. But as well as that, if you've got if you've got four really good players, and they've got a couple of other decent players, but those four can elevate them around those around them, especially if three of them are in the defense. So you've got three really good young defenders. And they have that extra year to develop. Like You'll see a big jump from them. They've got, you know, solid goalkeeper, okay options in midfield. Probably need another striker, but it is what it is. I disagree with you on Chelsea. I think there's major question marks. Kepa doesn't want to be there. They don't want him anymore. That they is an awkward situation. That, that's a that's a big a big a big what's going on. The centre back situation, they don't have a pairing. There's, there's no two you look at and think that's what will work. They haven't established that over the course of the year. The left-back situation, they don't like either of them, Emerson or, or Marcus Alonso. Neither of them are very good. Um, another year older, Aspie Lequeta. Now, I know they have Reese James, so they'll be fine there. And maybe you just stick Aspie at left-back. 
and that solves that. But the centre back thing is weird. Um, Kante, does he want to be there anymore? There's a, been a lot of talk that he was going to go this summer. Uh, he's obviously refusing to play at the moment, understandably so, or refusing to train, I should say. Um, so what happens with him? Without take him out of that midfield, I mean, Jorginho is just okay. He's fancy and he's flash, but he's just okay. Um, I do think he's improved this year, though. He still can't defend to save his life, and he couldn't tackle a good dinner. But <laughs> Kovacic is their best midfielder now after Kante. But Kante and Kovacic don't work as a pair. So, you know, it limits what you can do in that regard. And up front, yeah, I agree with you. They've got a lot of young talent. But the problem with young talent is it's not reliable. It's not consistent. We haven't seen consistency. It's been good enough in this league. (laughs) Has it, though? I mean, they're fourth. In this one season? In this 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 down year? Yeah. But when was the last time you watched them play and thought, Pulisic is playing really well here? I haven't really seen him play much, to be fair. When was the last time Mason Mount looked good? Months ago. Yeah, when was the last time the season. Callum, Callum, Callum Hudson Adoy looked good? That was last season. Um, are you really going to rely on Tammy Abraham to repeat this? Because he hasn't been good for a long time now. He had a great first half of the season, but since Christmas, teams figured him out. You get that second look at a guy. And it's an awful lot easier to handle them. I, I think there's massive question marks over Chelsea. Um, I think Leicester, you're right. They would benefit big time. The, the big question marks, Schmeichel gets a year older and Vardy gets a year older. Um, but, you know, Helaman's and Didi. Yeah, that means being able Adam to keep everyone. Sayonchu, Pereira, Chilwell, that's a, they've got a lot of elite talent there, and they're all very young and going to get better. So I, I do think Leicester's won. Um, but you look at Liverpool, just might as well focus in. Um, do we have depth? No, not great depth, no. But we have, we have exciting young players coming through. Curtis Jones, Kiana Hoiver, Harvey Elliott, three elite young talents. Yeah, and like, does Wilson come back from... Bournemouth in this. Wilson and Grujic, we own both of them, so you can plug them in. Grujic gives you another option in midfield. Wilson's another wide forward option. Um, him and Shakiri, not ideal, but, you know, could be decent enough if, if called upon. I totally agree with you on Origi, by the way. I mean, it, <laughs> we should have sold him last summer. Like, an hour after he scored that goal in the Champions League final, Michael Edwards should have been ringing around saying, how much will you give me for this guy? He's, Doesn't he's a... he also have a couple of World Cup goals as well? Yeah, that's like, what we bought him. We big bought him moments. Why do anything else? Um, yeah, I, I, I think I think we're that's that's the one area. But if you look at, you know, we've got the best defense in the league and Joel Matip is pretty good as a backup. We've got Nico Williams, a good young right back. We've got a strong midfield unit. It's not spectacular. It does need improvement, but We've got a lot of interchangeable parts where we can kind of afford to just continue to run it out. Now, I agree with you. I don't think they'll sustain this level. But I don't know that they need to. Because I don't know that there's anyone that can close that 25-point gap. Someone might close 10 or 15 of those points, which gives Liverpool a bit of a cushion. So I think we could even afford a 6- to 8-point drop-off and still be good enough to win the league. Um the other question then is, will we have European football next year? 
And I don't think anyone's really like actively. Not yeah, that there like, will be spots for it, but will we actually be traveling for Champions League and such? Yeah. Do you know? Like, if they, if they shorten the season and try and condense it, that is going to cause problems for European the European games. Uh, maybe you have to eliminate the League Cup or something, or the FA Cup for a year. Maybe that's what you have to do. Get rid of the Cups. But those are domestic. I mean, to your point with, with the Champions League, I mean, how soon is it going to be that people are going to feel comfortable mm. regularly traveling outside of their home country? Exactly. You know, and like we, we could well be looking at next season with no fans until the the tail end of the next season. Yeah, because I think January is currently the date, but obviously all these dates shift like every that's, day. That's exactly it. Like it's such a fluid situation that like we may not have European football next year um, at all, which... You know, if we don't, um, we'll upset a lot of people. But I mean, and the finances. The fi- that's the thing. It, it then it has the knock-on effect of you're losing your European money, and you're going to lose obviously your match day revenue because you'll have no fans. So for a club like Liverpool or Spurs who budget on having these things, that's going to cause you know belts to tighten. Um, Obviously, it doesn't affect a lot of clubs in terms of the European side of things, but maybe it levels the playing field a bit more then. Maybe maybe it brings everybody back to getting there. Look, City will still be City and United will still be United and Chelsea will still be, you know, stolen money from the hands of peasants in Russia. But I digress. Um, maybe it sees everybody else kind of get that bit closer and, and it, it, it makes the league a bit more competitive. Yeah, I mean, the financial uh, ramifications of something like that would obviously be huge. And and you would think it would bring clubs closer together. But, you know, credit to Wolves and Sheffield United. We've obviously mentioned that it's kind of been Mm. a depressed season. But they kind of got up there even without that kind of uh, financial quality. Obviously, financial quality within the Premier League far greater than further down the table. um, Or, sorry, further down the leagues. But, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what, what that kind of financial impact ends up being because we already talked about the market is probably going to go way down we don't know where you're probably going to have some clubs that literally have to sell in order to stay afloat so other clubs are going to get huge bargains the ones that are able to kind of ride out this wave um i know at tottenham there's been a lot of discussion about the the financial health of the club because obviously we just built the new stadium and everybody fears kind of what happened at arsenal happening to us although Arsenal fell from the heights of winning titles and we fell from the heights of making one Champions League final and making the Champions League four straight years. Uh, so starting at a little bit lower of a starting block there. But um, yeah, even we're not sure what, what our club finances look like at the moment. And Daniel Levy runs a pretty tight ship. So I can't even imagine what, like, for example, Aston Villa, who way overspent when they were promoted. What, what's going to happen to them? I guess they overspent the year before they were promoted, which is why there was some FFP talk around them. Um, but yeah, you'd imagine prices go down mm. without fans in, in seats, even though that isn't the primary revenue, which is why they have to come back <laughs> so that they can fulfill their TV contracts. That's still millions of pounds every week. Um, what Was it a billion pound loss if they did a season without fans? Yeah, I think it was I think reported so. somewhere. So. The, the financial impact of this is going to be huge, and I feel like it's kind of being underspoken about. And what will it do to the player market is what I'm really waiting to see, because will the high end stay where the high end is? 
but now there's just going to be loads more bargains. Will bargains not be bargains because it'll in parallel drop with the amount of money that clubs are losing to the percentage drop in player prices from what was expected? I don't know. And I think that's one of the more interesting things from this. Obviously, a, a terrible situation with the virus, but both in real life and in football, I'm really curious to see what the world looks like on the other side of this thing. Yeah, as am I. Um, I think I think the bigger effect is going to be felt in the lower leagues because for those clubs, the match day revenue kind of is the life. Is the max, yeah. Uh, and that's where it's going to be, be tough. Now, <clears throat> spoken about this before, I kind of feel like if if there's not going to be any fans at games, the Premier League needs to sit down with the, the broadcasters, with Sky, with BT and with whoever else, and say, look, we've sold this package of games, you've bought this many, you've bought this many, but we've got to do something here. We've got to, we've got to save the future of the game in this country. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the games that you haven't bought, which is the Saturday 3 p.m. games, and we're going to sell them. We're going to sell them to Facebook. We're going to sell them to BBC. I think we're Amazon gonna, already has some. I think Amazon has some. And, and you know, like in, in the States, you know, NBC have pretty much free reign of whatever. In Australia, mm-hmm. Foxtel have whatever. But just for the UK, we're going to sell one game every Saturday to BBC. And we're going to sell one game every Saturday to ITV. Um, one to Facebook, maybe. You just sell those three. And what we're going to do is half the money we get from that, we're going to give to the Football League every week. So 38 weeks, 38 game weeks. So what is it? There's probably 25, 28 weekends in that. We're going to take half that money and we're going to give it to the Football League to be evenly distributed between the clubs in the Championship, League One and League Two and the the Conference. Because we have to keep these clubs afloat. Because if we don't, then the whole thing collapses. Because football is a castle built on sand. And if you take out the lower leagues, the top league will not survive. It just won't. Because there's going to be far less players available. There's going to be far less money in the game. Because there's an awful lot of people who follow, like, a, one of my best friends is from Coventry. So he's a Coventry City fan. But he's also a United fan. And he watches Coventry on TV, but he's got United season tickets. But if he's not interested in Coventry, Coventry are still his go-to. And if I think if he had to pick between one or the other, he would probably be just go with Coventry. But there's a lot of people like that out there. And I think if you took away, if you said to him, right, Coventry don't exist anymore. They're just, they're gone. Everybody's gone. You know, Bolton are gone. Leeds are gone. Forests are gone. All these historic clubs, they're all gone. I don't know that all those people then turn their eyes back on the Premier League. I can see them all going, you know what? This is not for me anymore. Because yeah. there's an awful lot of the With people. The prices that, that, and everything. You could course. just go to your local club. Exactly. But there's an awful lot of people who who buy a Sky Sports subscription or a BT Sports subscription who don't support a Premier League team but like to watch football. But if their club gets taken away from them 
they may lose that love of football and all of a sudden they're not buying their Sky Sports package or their BT package anymore. And then Sky and BT have to go, okay, we can no longer afford to pay this kind of money for Premier League rights. And without that TV money, what happens? Do you know? So I kind of feel like the Premier League has a duty to protect the rest of football in England. They set themselves as the standard bearer, as the flagship. And I know originally, the, obviously, the Premier League broke away from the FA and this is how this got started, but they still have a duty. Because let's remember, if you get relegated from the Premier League, where do you go? You go back into the Football League. Mm-hmm. The clubs that do well in the Football League go into the Premier League. They need those clubs there. You can't lose... And we we are literally talking about losing about 35% of all clubs outside the Premier League at a minimum. There are so many yeah. Champions League clubs that are running, or sorry, Championship clubs running way over budget. Derby is an example. Running way over budget. Take out the fans, they're screwed. If, if you take out that, so if all we'd be left with is the Premier League and these clubs... And it's just going to become, you know, a top league and a bottom league. And then the top clubs are going to get fed up and they're going to go, right, we'll just go and start some European Super League or something. Like, you have to protect the lower regions of the game. The players that don't make it at Premier League clubs funnel down into those divisions and a lot of them make it back. But if there's nowhere for them to go, well, then they'll they'll either go abroad or they'll give the game up. If they go abroad, then they're out of your system and it's not you that benefits from them, it's other leagues. I think that there's a real opportunity here to take a couple of those Saturday games, sell them, and give half that money to the Football League. And let's everybody hold each other up at this point, because that's what's needed. Yeah, both societally and in sport, for sure. So, what do you think happens then in terms of pricing? I originally didn't think it would have much of an effect because I think I overestimated the stupidity. I still think some clubs will do stupid things when, whenever we have a window. Like I could still see Barcelona been really, really thick and paying two hundred million for Neymar, um, or just still, any striker. <laughs> yeah, you know, any any big name striker. I still think that. If Mbappe was to become available, you'd still see Real Madrid or, or again, Barcelona launch in the $300 million it'll probably take to get him. I still see those type of things happening. But I think for your your more mid-level player, like I mentioned Grealish and Zaha earlier on, guys that I would have said are worth kind of 30 and $40 million at a max before all of this. I think if there's any sense in the world. Now, the problem is those guys were been touted as 60 and 70 million players. But I do think that now that might rectify and we might see them go for that 30, 40 million kind of fee. Yeah, and I kind of alluded to that earlier. I, I agree. I think the top end is still going to relatively stay the top end. But what happens 
further down. I, I think it's probably going to be a little exponential. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to see a whole lot of bargains and not to uh, reveal too much later, but I think that's why somebody like a Luis Campos or, or anybody that can really scout that entry-level talent is going to become so much more crucial in the English game, kind of following the Leicester model of uh, a few years ago. And I guess they're still doing it, um, but they are starting to spend a little bit more on players. But being able to find the value amongst a whole lot of players that are going to be under 20 million pounds that previously would have been way more than that, I think is going to be so crucial because, as you mentioned there's a very big chance that a lot of teams are going to overspend poorly, even though there's likely to be a drop in prices and a drop in club wages. But it, it's kind of like when you see things that are on sale, even if you don't have the money, you see how much you're saving. So you spend it anyway. Yeah. I think, I think there's a real chance that we're going to see that from a lot of clubs where they're like, Oh, would we have gotten this player? I don't know, but he's only 10 million. Well, what if we got somebody else that also plays his position? So we, instead of spending 20 million on one, we're spending 10 million on two and maybe one of them will come out. You're like, but now they're going to split that development time as well. So neither of them are probably going to get to that level. So, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of that going on. And what I personally can't wait to see is what's the first deal. Because there's going to be a real like benchmarky thing by whoever it is. If it's a high end player and like the first player to go this window is like 120 million for whichever of those things that you mentioned, maybe it's Lataro to, to Barca or Real Madrid or something like that. Then maybe people will be like, Oh, the market's what it was. And then just kind of go with that. If the first one is, I don't know. I don't even want to say that and enter it into the world. But if the first one was like sun went somewhere for like 30 million, then everybody'd be like, Oh, the market's super depressed and aim for that. And and mm. if you're a club that's trying to sell. So th- this is also the, the other side of this. We're talking a lot about the clubs that are buying. But what about teams that have to sell? How much lower are you willing to take on, on a price you have on a player because you either need that money or because you just want to sell them? And then you're trying to sell them at your original price. And then the first thing that comes out of the person you're negotiating's mouth with is, there was just a global pandemic. How do you think we still have that much money? Because everybody's books are already a little shrouded mm. and nobody knows who's missing on what money. So obviously there's like advertising boards that are sold. Manchester United have a sponsor tractor company. Like there's so many like weird ways that clubs make money. that I feel like more than ever, it'll be really easy for clubs to obscure how much they have in order to try to get better deals. Actually kind of hurts Tottenham in that regard because everybody just knows that Levy would be cheap uh, even if he had literally infinite money. Um, but I also think that's that's an interesting aspect of this is for the clubs that are trying to sell, they aren't going to get what they want. So are they going to keep players that they wouldn't have otherwise? Are they just going to take big discounts because they'd already made decisions on players and try to move them out the door even at a massive loss? I I don't know. I mean, we could literally talk about this forever, but again, I'm just fascinated to see what happens. But yeah, keep an eye on that first move because it tends to set the market. Maybe not as much in the States where the entire sport is confined within one league like the NFL, but it's still going to be really interesting to see what that first move is and, and how the market reacts to it. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean... Well, first of all, it, let me just say that if if Son is available for thirty million, nope, um, you you better Stop. believe that I'm <laughs> at the top of the queue to get him for the Reds personally. Not even um, Liverpool. Yeah, not even. 
I'll find the money. Believe me, I'll find that money. And I'll loan them to Liverpool at a high interest rate. Um, you're right. But look, like, let's, let's look at Bournemouth. We've mentioned them already. They're a club that operate, you know, very, very closely with, you know, the, the brink of extinction in terms of what they spend and what they bring in. They've got a tiny ground. Their commercial deals aren't, you know, the biggest. They they really do need every penny. And let's just say that Nathan Aki decides that he wants to go this summer because, you know, he's probably good enough to go and play for a top six or top seven club. Um, there was a lot of talk in January that Chelsea had a 40 million buyout on him. And that was considered low at the time. People were saying, oh, you know, Bournemouth could lose 10 to 20 million if Chelsea take that that up. So they're, you know, implying that he's therefore worth 50 to 60 million. Um, what if he goes for 25 million in this summer? Yeah. And they've been planning all along. Well, we know that that's 50 million we've got coming in here as a minimum, 50 million. Kind of we can operate on that basis that that's what he's going to be. What if he's 25? Yeah, it'll just it'll just kind of mess with everything. Also, um, interesting that you bring up Ake, who I think counts as homegrown, because for a long time I've been kind of beating the drum on with Brexit and all the following policies policies that may come with it regarding foreign workers that either the amount of homegrown players required is probably going to go up or at least the value of current homegrown players is going to go way up because they won't have to deal with visa issues or anything like that. Um, so <laughs> in particular, players like that, it, will it counterbalance? I, I hate to keep coming back to this, but man, we just don't know. But yeah, if you're expecting that kind of money for an outgoing player and you don't get it and you do run that tight line, as you're saying... It could really be devastating, and I think that's why you you mentioned the lower leagues, which I think is very well said. Is like we're talking about all of these struggling clubs in the context of literally the most financially successful league in the world. Mm. Below that, it is not the case. No, and so you 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 imagine that like Ake situation, and you put it down to a championship club that we're counting on next year's budget based on the sale of one player, and things get real dark real fast. Yeah, a hundred percent, and you know like this. A club like Brentford is a club that identifies talent, scouts that talent, recruits that talent, develops that talent, and then sells that talent. And that's their model. That's how they survive. Let's just say the Watkins kid that they have been great all season. Maybe the best player in the championship this past season. Um, they probably were looking at $15 million for him this summer. Now, all of a sudden, maybe he's only 8 million or 10 million. So there's that loss. And you've got no fans for the rest of the season or next season. So take all that money out as well. Yeah. And all of a sudden, that is, that's 15 or 20 million that they've lost over the, the two things. Do you not think that's going to have a massive knock on effect on them? Like they might be able to stay in business because they've got a wealthy owner, but that's going to have an effect on them, not just this season, next season, season after. We could be looking five or six years before clubs get right after this, unless things are done to help them out. Um, uh, I don't know. I think, you know, you, you mentioned the NFL, and with a bit of luck, 
there's no Bill O'Brien here who does something really <laughs> stupid, like, you know, trading DeAndre Hopkins for, you know... A running back that's already declining? A, yeah, an yeah. overpaid, declining running back, running back and a second-round pick. Um, like, hopefully there's nobody like that um, who just sets the... Because, like, you know, when, when the Bills were then were trying to make a trade with, with, with the Vikings for, for Diggs, they were probably like, well, like, how can you ask for first-round picks? Look what he got. And they're like, he's an idiot. Don't mind what they do in Houston. <laughs> he's a fool. This is Minnesota. We work properly. Yeah, but, like, he, that, he's better. Than, no, no, no. He's a fool. Like, there's going to be a bit of that. There will be. There's a couple of idiots running Premier League clubs. West Ham, how are you? Um, <laughs> you know, one of the things that myself and, and Carl Matchett like to do at the moment is is laugh at Arsenal. And just the bonehead One of my favourite pastimes, but yeah, a little hard given our histories. You know, the bonehead decisions that they've made recently. recently. Serge Gnabry, obviously, you know, got five million for him. So the best decent. players in the world. But at least they kept Otso. Yeah, you know, and got him for that bargain price of 350 <laughs> grand a week. Um, you know, just madness. Right. Just take Otso's wages and give it to the EFL. Yeah, you know. Let's look at the 10 most underperforming Premier League players. And we're going to take all your wages for a year. And we're just going to feed it into the, into the championship in League 1 and League 2. And we're going to just hold those divisions up. Because you fuckers don't deserve anybody. <laughs> and credit um, to, for Juan Mata to doing it on his own pre-global pandemic. Yeah, you know, we've got Alexis Sanchez. There's a whole buttload of money that can just go straight into the, into the championship coffers. Um. Oh, yeah, brilliant stuff. Right. Um. We have you on. You're obviously a Spurs fan. You don't hide that fact. Nope. Um. So we we might as well have a bit of a chat about Spurs. We've we've kind of skirted around them a little bit so far, but rumors are they have been you know out there since Mourinho took over that Luis Campos, the director of football at. Lille, formerly director of football at Monaco, um, is interested, shall we say, in becoming director of football at Tottenham Hotspur. He has a relationship with Mourinho going back a number of years. They worked together at Real Madrid. Um, Mourinho is known to have great respect for the man. Now, in his time at Monaco, he was responsible for buying Falcao, Joe Matinho, James Rodriguez, or James Rodriguez, I should say, uh, Fabinho, Anthony Martial, Ricardo Carvalho, Dimitar Berbatov, Bernardo Silva, Bakayoko, Kondogbia, and Thomas Lamar. At Lille, he has done spectacular work. Osimian, Osaki, just lots and lots and lots. Pepe, even though Pepe. he set the Premier League alight. You know, buying in elite young players. You know, Rafael Liao was another one. Um, I believe he was there for Bubakar Samari coming in. He was. Also, he's the one that convinced the coach to promote Mbappe into the senior team because they were at risk of losing him. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a guy with a great eye for young players who has now done it for four or five consecutive summers where he's gone out and and just done really, really well in the transfer market. Um, 
this is something Spurs need. Mourinho is not the type of guy you really want to entrust with the checkbook. Um, and I think he acknowledges that himself. I think he's he's you know been clear enough about that. But when I look at the at the Spurs squad, I don't think you're all that far away. I think you could do with a couple of formational shifts. But you know, I I think you need a goalkeeper. Um, I think Toby and and Davinson as a pair, absolutely fine potential to be very very good full back there's question marks on both sides and we'll come back to those <laughs> uh in midfield I-, I think you're one midfielder away from having the perfect diamond i think if you bought someone that could play at the base of that and go end on belly lacelso uh, and deli ali is a 10 behind kane and son i think that's great so i, I really think you're probably four players maybe only three, from having an immensely strong squad. And then you've got really good depth. You've got Mora, you've got Bergwin, you've got Winks, you've got Lamella. I know people aren't massively fond of him, but I think Dyer's decent enough if he's used mm. as a centre-back. I and think that is the report, is that that's exclusively where he's been training in preparation for next season. And that's where he belongs. It's where he should always have been. You know, I mean, Ben Davies is, is, is an okay backup left-back. Um, I think... You know, you definitely need a starting right back. Um, Hugo, I know he's he's a club captain and all that kind of stuff, but you definitely need to be looking at a successor. But I mean, he's it's not like he's a bad goalkeeper. Let's be clear, he's just he's not an elite goalkeeper anymore. But he's 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 as good as Casper Schmeichel, and look what they've done this season. So you know, you could definitely hang on to him for another couple of years. There's a possibility Ryan Sessegnon is the answer at left back. Now, it's going to need a lot of work and patience, but he's an exceptional... And that work needs to be mostly in lower and upper body strength. Yes, absolutely. But he's an exceptionally talented young player. So maybe he's the option there. So maybe you only really need two starters, and then maybe just, you know, maybe like Troy Parrott you've got coming along is a very, very talented young striker. Maybe if you can find another Loriente to do you for a year, until Parrot is ready to really be the Kane backup or whatever. You know, you're not all that far away. And having a guy like Luis Campos come in could really make the difference. Like, especially if you're working with a tighter budget, because, you know, look, let's look at what they did, did this past summer. So they sold uh, Anwar Al-Ghazi for, I think, 11 million to, to Villa. That was pre-agreed. Thiago Mendes went to Leon for 25, Yusuf Kone to Leon for 9, Nicolas Pepe to Arsenal for 80, and Rafael Leao to Milan for 35. And that, between the, the, the two of those, they made about 100 million profit, uh, euro, 100 million euro profit. Mm-hmm. Um, they turned around, they bought Timothy Weah for, for 10 million. It hasn't really worked yet, but he's only. 1920 yeah, loads and loads of talent he's going to be he's going to be really good um they brought in uh Braderich, the young croatian center back who i think is really really talented um Osimian, i think they paid three or four million for him already and, saying he's worth 50 to 60 and he might be yeah he very well could be um yusuf yasiki the turkish midfielder they paid 16 and a half million euro He's very, very good. 
And Thiago Jallo, they brought him in from Milan as part of the um, the deal for Rafael Leao. Very, very highly rated player. So they haven't, like, they're fourth this year. When when things ended, they were fourth. Um, finished second last season. Finished second last season, but sold three really important starters. Three guys that were massively important. Now, Leao wasn't an every-game starter, but he was an important player for them. But Pepe was probably their best attacker, and obviously um, Mendes was massive in midfield for them. But they, they sold so two important starters and another one who's a really important squad player. Um, didn't spend huge money to replace them, but maintained top four in a more competitive French league this year. Like, the league was just better this yeah. year. So, I think when you see that, and obviously you give credit to the coach, he's done a great job there, but I think Campos has been great for them, and he was great. He built that title-winning team at Monaco. He He's he's really good at what he does. Yeah, he, he's obviously incredible. You listed off the names and some of the, the accomplishments that he's had. Um, so just kind of the current lay of the land, um, Canal, BN, and RTP all reported that it was basically done. Um, but it should be noted, <laughs> to, to avoid any potential legal issues, um, that literally both Daniel Levy and Campos have both said that there were no conversations between the two of them. Part of that might be because both seasons, well, I don't know. Do you think that the French League still counts as ongoing? Even though... They've ended it. That's an interesting thing, contract-wise. Yeah, but, I really don't know. But the yeah, fact that's, that we that's went, thing. It, it's not based on the season; it is based on his contract. On the and maybe year. he might just have something in his. Like some people, man, I know, I, I know at least two Premier League managers have in their contracts that they are not allowed to talk to any other club or have their agents talk to any other club outside of the. There's like a three-week break between mm. when the season ends and when business starts to pick up for you know, bringing back young players, transfers, whatever. But there's a three-week gap there where they're allowed to talk to other people or, or, or invite offers and see what's out, what market's out there for them. Yeah. Um, so maybe he's got something like that as well. Yeah, it could be. So it is really interesting. So when uh, official sources came out and said that we had had no negotiations with Luis Campos, it basically split the fan base down exactly 50-50 on whether or not they thought it was true or not because it seems really unnecessary to publicly state that you aren't following a random director of football in France um, but simultaneously you did literally say that we haven't done it yet so a lot of question marks uh, in terms of what that is but to be fair both of them formally said that uh, there had been no discussions now you brought up the, the past with Mourinho obviously also worked alongside Joe Sacramento um, when he was at Leo last season before he became our assistant manager, this one, a very analytics-heavy, scouting-heavy um, kind of guy, often runs the the tactical side of training. Uh, so I do believe there was at least some relationship between the two of them um, while they were at Lille as well. So there are certainly connections, as, as you mentioned earlier. I did talk to some... Um, people on the expert side of the French league about how the fit would work. So you mentioned a lot of 
the huge value swings mm. where he brings in somebody super cheap, sells them super high. So the question was, did he actually make his teams better? Obviously, the Monaco title, obviously, Lille coming second last season is testament to how good the teams can be. But it does take time. And I do think that in the Premier League, the pressure is a lot higher and the fan bases get agitated a lot more quickly. Like, Baldini is not a bad director of football. No. We had a very bad window with him post bail, kind of that thing where we were talking about <laughs> with the sales. We were like, oh, if we get seven of them, three of them will be good. And that ended up being about accurate. Um, but I do think there, there would be some hesitancy in the Tottenham fan base. And it's a little bit of a weird fit because uh, Andrew Gibney, who used to come on the show uh, to talk French football. Oh, wait, we're on your show. On the <laughs> EPL Roundtable. Um, used to come on. And uh, anyway, he and I were talking about, is this a good fit? And his point was, if you bring in Ndombele, right, the year before the year that he just had, does he have that same year at a club like Tottenham? Probably not. He probably doesn't have those minutes. He doesn't get control of the midfield. Although you could argue Lyon had a lot of other really good midfielders who will probably go for similar fees um, if if the game does rehabilitate financially. But I do think that's a valid question. Is Are the players that he targets at a high enough current level, not potential, because the potential is always dang near infinite, but are they good enough at a current level to actually get the minutes required to get them from where they are now to that potential? And I, there are questions about that. I do not think you can just assume that he will find, for example, you mentioned right back. I don't know if you can just assume that he'll find a right back that in one year will supplant Serge Aurier, who's actually had a much better season, you know, three coronavirus outbreak uh, quarantine <laughs> skirtings to the side um but i don't know if he's going to be the guy that finds you the replacement now he's definitely the guy that could build up the next wave but at tottenham we're not really at a next wave point we're kind of at a win something in two years or lose harry kane point yeah so uh, there there it is a bit of a weird fit but as i kind of mentioned earlier the the reason why I think it's worth it is, A, because he's incredible at his job. Like, let's just not get that twisted. He will adjust. He will do incredibly. Also, I've heard some people say that he's only good at scouting French talent. And I'm just like, look at his list and the clubs that they came from. Yeah. It's just super not the case. Look, um, but, yeah. Only scouting French talent. Not really a bad thing when they've got <laughs> maybe the greatest crop of young players ever. Yeah, and, uh-huh. like between the ages of 16 and 24, that eight year gap, that is mind blowing. The depth, the abundance of talent in pretty much every position. Funnily enough, bar right back. Now, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really help us in that regard. When he um, went to Monaco, he mm-hmm. didn't go to Monaco to build the next team, he went to build that team. He True. brought Radamel Falcao. He bought João Moutinho and he bought James Rodriguez. Not yes, exactly bad players. player. He adjusted to become the guy who goes and buys the young players. That wasn't who he was. He was the guy at Real Madrid going <laughs> and finding the megastars. Yeah. He so adjusted. Spurs operate with a bigger budget than Lille or than than Monaco were at that point when Monaco had been relegated and were, you know, trying to find their way back and operating on a smaller budget. But look, if he can 
like I said at the start of this, I I genuinely think you're two starters away. Yeah. And then you need to add depth and you need to buy a long term replacement for Hugo, a long term replacement for Toby, and maybe one or two others. But he's ideal for that because he will find the best young goalkeeper, the best young centre back, bring them in for, you know, seven, eight million, and you can develop them over a couple of years behind the players you have now. As long as you can go and find the two starters and maybe one or two others that you need. Like, it's not massive surgery needed at Spurs. I think there's a lot of people down on Spurs. It's been a bad season. There's obviously huge question marks over Jose. And obviously, you spent big last summer, and it hasn't really worked yet. I mean... Well, also did. (laughs) The other ones, not He did eventually. But it took a while to get there. Yeah, and he did miss a month. He missed a month with the injury, and he, you know, clearly wasn't at a hundred percent at the start of the season. But Endombele is going to be very, very good. I mean, look, the other option you have is you can. Lacelso has played in that deepest role. You give him free reign as a playmaker in that deep role. You play Endombele, and you buy someone else to play in the edge. And maybe his the guy he brought to Lille, who I talk about for Liverpool all the time, Bubakari <laughs> Samari. You put him yeah. and Endombele in the engine of your midfield. Teams that need to pack lunches and dinners <laughs> to go up against them for a game. And you give Delhi then free reign as a 10 in behind. Now, I know Jose hasn't played a diamond in a long time. I think that's what your current group of players is best suited to. Yeah, that or a 4-3-3. Um, three, three. It's not the 4-2-3-1. <laughs> but even with the 4-3-3, three, three, it's weird. Because like, you could play Delhi and Belly and, and Lo Celso as a 3. It's, it's an not, attacking three. It's a very attacking three. It's not going to work against everybody. And then you've got Son, Kane, and, and Bergwin or Moore or whatever. Um, but it's it's probably too attacking for Jose. Um, and he's going to want to stick like a Winks or somebody. And it's, you just The level drops a little the bit base. there. Yeah. But I do think you look at that. like If they brought in, let's just say they bring in Samari. And they go him and Endombele. And then you've got you've got Jensen Fernandez as your third one. Who the current rumor to. is that we are training him to sit at the base, which I think you mentioned in the January show, which I was Yeah, I think that's I think he I think he could play there. If you if you just want to go with what you have, I think he could play there. I think he's got all the physical attributes. Yeah, he's like a blank slate. It's like exactly. make him the midfielder you want. Exactly. He's had a couple of lost years, but remember when this kid was nineteen, everybody wanted him. Everybody wanted him. There was he was he was fifty to sixty million eighteen months before you bought him. You got him for what two year loan or an eighteen month loan and fifteen million as a uh, set price? Something stupid, something low. The the the, the buyout is fifty. Oh, fifty after the eighteen months. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to pay that unless nope, he becomes especially not star. if he's a defensive midfielder. If he becomes if he becomes a great defensive midfielder, though, pay that money. I've seen what everybody's seen what Fabinho's done for us, what Fernandinho did for City. That's the most important place you can you can lock down in your team is that holding role. If he's really really good at it, pay whatever it costs to get him. If he gives Endembele, Lacelso, and Delhi the freedom to go and do what they do, he's yeah. worth every penny. If you can get hit, if if like. There's obviously Max Aaron's a lot of talk about him maybe coming yep. in as the right back. Now, 
Aaron's and Sessignon as your fullbacks is going to be super exciting going forward. And, and terrifying in the defense. Terrifying defensively. <laughs> but they're so young. They're so quick. They're both aggressive players. They need to get bigger and so they need to get stronger and add a bit of muscle. But there's no reason they can't be solid defenders. They don't ever have to be plus defenders. If they could just become bang average defenders with what they'll give you going forward, that's more than enough. Like, you guys had Kyle Walker and Danny Rose as your fullbacks for mm-hmm. a number of years where you were really successful. Yeah. And they were good going forward, bang average defensively, but their pace and aggression let them get away with it. Yeah. Max Ahrens and Seth Young are going to be much better going forward if they can be just as good defensively as those two, which isn't all that hard. Uh, <laughs> you can get away with it. You absolutely can. Um, yeah. Who's out there been linked with Spurs at the minute that you're you're kind of enticed by? Yeah, so literally while we've been recording, I think I've gotten my biggest hint that Campos might actually already have agreed to come, even though they keep saying not. Apparently, uh, we're very close to signing PSG's U17 captain, Hubert Muamba, which seems very Campos-y, <laughs> not very our club-y. Um, so... There's a literally hot off the presses one for you there. Um, yeah, there are a few other options that we've been heavily linked with. Uh, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg, uh, we've been interested for a long time. Personally, I'm not that huge on him. I genuinely think he would be a better manager right now than he'd be a player right now. Um, had a great though season, is. though. Yeah, yeah, having a very good season. Not sure that's when you want to go in, but... Uh, it sounds like that's something that we're interested in. Um, the other uh, option in that position that apparently we've been really interested in uh, is Baptiste Santa Maria. Mm. I think at Nantes. Angers. Mm. Angers, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, he's been absolutely incredible in uh, League 1 this season. I think he leads the league in interceptions and tackles one from midfield. So that would obviously be something that we would be very welcome to. And I, I don't know, Dave, if, if you had to put a price on him, let's stick with pre-virus. Cause we have no idea what's going to happen with that financially pre-virus. I still th- don't think he would have been much more than like 20 million. Um, so Villa offered 10 million for him last summer and it was turned down. Mm. Um, and that was before <laughs> this season. So, mm. yeah. So, I think at the time they were probably looking for 12 to 14. Uh, Villa were buying everybody. Now, obviously, Villa bought um, Douglas Louise and the and Marvellous. Um, so that they bought yeah, holding midfielders for yeah, yeah, for the in there and that fee. Um, by the way, Douglas Louise would be a really nice fit as a holding midfielder for Spurs. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Santa Maria is he's he's very, very good. Uh, he's He's a nuts and bolts type of player. He does the basics. He does them all very well. Um, he's quicker than you'd expect. He used to be a winger, and but he's a really intelligent player. They moved him into the center midfield, and he just sort of naturally developed into that sitting, holding midfielder who can really go and, and win the ball back when needed. Um, a clever player, a good organizer. I think pre... Yeah, pre... Lockdown, I think twenty million would have been about right. Um, you have to remember, you're buying from Angiers as well. Yeah. So there, there's a limit on what they're going to expect. They know they're not going to get thirty, forty million for a player. Um, I think after this 
15 million you'd probably get him for, for sure. Um, Which, if that's the stopgap until we can make Jedson an actual defensive midfielder, absolutely. like, hell yeah. Absolutely. And you bring him in, you've got, so you've got him, Winks, Jedson, and Belly and the Celso could all play there and give you very different looks at what the role is. Yeah. Um, that's that's solid. Then you've got, you know, Oliver Skips, another good young player you've got coming through. Yep. Whether he makes it Spurs, I don't know, but I know he's quite highly rated. Yeah. Um, you, you, that, if we're in the Europa League, he'll make it. How about that? I, I did a whole yeah, show talking about how when we were in the Europa League is when we had our last huge wave of talent come through, like Kane and Delhi and Winks and like all those players. That's where they were getting their minutes, and now we don't have it anymore. But yeah. Yeah, because the domestic cups don't really give you enough games. At least with the Europa League, you're kind of guaranteed that the six the way we games. do them. <laughs> no, same as us. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Santa Maria would be a clever signing. He does strike me as a Luis Campos signing. I'm not going to lie. He doesn't really strike me as somebody that Jose has paid a lot of attention to. Um, and yeah, that's being heavily rumored. So that, that's kind of why I'm thinking like, it kind of feels like there's already some composty things happening. Mm-hmm. Of course, his whole staff might be kind of following that same kind of model that, that he brought in when, when Jose joined. But yeah, I do agree. It's, it's, it's a little suspect. Um, <laughs> Darren Bent, uh, legend Spurs legend. Um, <laughs> he, he suggested yesterday that you should sign Kai Havertz. Um, oh God. Well, I'm a now, newly branded Leverkusen <laughs> fan. So I think everybody should try and sign Kai Havertz. So they Correct. brilliant. However, um, I don't know where he would play for you. Um, well, I think it's kind of like that weird Dabala thing where it's like get him in the door and then figure it out. And I figure think it out. Yeah, I think Dabala would have wound up on the I right. I mean, if, look, if you want to have him and sell us Delhi, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> I'm, I'm good with that. You know, I'll take Delhi and Sun off your hands at a very reasonable price. Uh-huh, um, I bet. <laughs> you've been linked with uh, Timothy Castanier, the the right yeah. back from from Atalanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is good. You've also been linked, obviously, with Mounier, the the right back from PSG. Now it just appears like yeah, if you're, you're going to sign Belgian, sign their weakest position. Right, right. Yeah, you know, sign both their both their <laughs> average right backs and hope for the best. Uh, now, in fairness, they, you know they're solid. They're they're okay players, but <laughs> you know, I think Spurs can can aim for better. I do. I, yeah. I don't think either of them is is any better than what you already have. Um, I just can't believe that we went Aurier over Ricardo Pereira. At the time, I didn't hate it, but holy crap, how things have changed. Yeah, I mean, I think Aurier, when he came in, I mean, he had been, he had been at a, such a high level a couple of years previously. Obviously, the PSG move didn't work, and, you know, he had had some off-field issues as well. Um, I think the ceiling on him, was obviously a lot higher, but the floor was a lot lower. I think Pereira's like bare minimum was going to be better than Aurier's bare minimum, even though Aurier's, if he maxes this, he's going to be fucking incredible, is yeah. better than, than Pereira's. If he maxes this, he'll be really, really good, but he's not going to be world-class. Um, I mean, Pereira's very, very good, don't get me wrong, but I mean, he's not. He's not one of the top five right backs in the world. At one True. point, Aurier was. He was a one man mission down the wing. You couldn't do yeah. anything against him. Going and forward, he has had a better season this year, but 
he has. He just makes silly mistakes. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I genuinely, I look at the Spurs squad and I look at players like, like Voigt, like a Voigt, and I look at Tang. Sounds like he's gone. By the way, the rumor is that Voigt's so? out, and we're going to try to bring in Diop. It's a Diop. Mm-hmm. From West Ham. Yeah. Next to Toby, yeah, absolutely. I think that works. But next to Davinson, long term. Next to Davinson, I think there's big question marks. I think both of them need a talker next to them. I think both of them need someone who keeps them mentally checked in. That's my big knock on Davinson and on Isidia. But I, I, I like both of them. I think they're really good. But Davinson I think just loses his man like three times a he match. He just switches And sometimes off. it doesn't matter, and sometimes it leads to three goals. Yeah, and it's a Diop is exactly the same. He just switches off sometimes. Whereas I think if you've got Toby next to him talking him through, may- maybe maybe it's the goalkeeper. Maybe it's whoever replaces uh, Hugo Lloris. Yeah. Is, is the talker, is the organizer, can keep him in, in check. Um, when he was at when he was at Toulouse, he had uh, Alban Lafont as his goalkeeper. Lafont, yeah, very yeah. good, very good talker. Lafont, age-wise, talent-wise, makes a lot of sense for Spurs. Uh, he'll be available cheap this summer as well because there's no way Nantes don't take up that offer, that option to take him from from yeah. Fjord. Well, unless they can't afford it after this, maybe they can't afford it. They're talking about building a new stadium there as well, so maybe they can't afford it. But if they can't, and Fiorentina are still looking to do business. He'd make a lot of sense for Spurs. Because, um, like, you have Tanganga as well, who I, I like. I think he's got... I think he's got the potential to be maybe not an every-game starter, but if he's your third centre-back, yeah, I don't think that's a bad really thing. He looks really good. Hmm. I, would, he, I would genuinely, at this exact moment, I know we talked about how sad it would be if Jan's already played his last match, but every single match right now, give me Tanganga over Jan. Because the the legs have just gone for Jan off a cliff. But the, the playing every minute you give Jan Vertonghen between now and the end of the season is a wasted minute because he's checked out yeah. and he wants to be somewhere else. But not every, emotionally for the fans, but development wise. Development course. wise, if the, for the good of the club, fuck the fans for the good of the club. Every minute you give Tanganga benefits you next season and the season after. Every minute you give for Tongan doesn't benefit the club at all. Right now, Jan Vertonghen is not any better than Tanganga. Now, mm-hmm. he's he's smarter, he's better positionally, but he can't run. He can't move. Yeah, his his turn to run, so like when he's like set facing an attacker to shifting to be able to run with them, is he just gets beat so many times that way now. I saw him in one of his last games... I can't remember who he was running against. He had a bit was of Was it four. Leipzig? Because no. well, maybe I don't want to hang the whole loss on him because obviously we didn't score nearly enough, but oof. He had wasn't a four good. Him to and Davis five at the left. yard head start in about a 10 yard sprint and lost by about three yards. Ugh. Yeah. Now, admittedly, he had to turn, but he had a huge head start. And he's and he, known as a mobile center back. Like that was yeah, his whole like he was brand. Never quick but he could move and he was so clever that he was always where he needed to be um i, I just i i 
I think for the good of the club, you give those minutes to Tanganga. And it seems to me like Mourinho really likes Tanganga. Like he sees something in this kid who can be a, a big part of your future. Yeah, did you um, did you hear about the moment in his literal first training session? No. Yeah, so this is just a fun one. I know I'm kind of dragging on here with Tottenham, but uh, in his very first training session, he grabbed Tanganga and pointed uh, him out uh, to one of the assistants and said, he man-marked Ronaldo, make him known, which was great from the preseason friendly we had against Juventus. Um, so yeah, literally from minute one, he was like, this guy, yeah. That's See, this is the thing. People don't get it with Mourinho. Like, when he's in on somebody, he's all the way in on them. Um, I, I, I still think I still think there's there's a bit of magic left in Jose. I still think he can do good things. Um, so I'm just looking at an article here. It says that Juan Voigt apparently um, leads. Is that Interesting. Yeah. That would not shock me. Um, that would make sense, to be fair. Yeah, that Poch Bielsa connection. Tell me then. Last thing before I let you go. Tell me about Aaron Skinner and why I'm meant to care about him. Aaron Skinner? Yeah. I don't know who Aaron Skinner is. Kev, you're letting me down here. I feels From like From your it. academy, he's, he's just signed a professional deal, hasn't he? <laughs> I genuinely have no idea who that is. Kev. Apparently Sorry. he's a wonder kid. Really letting the side down. You know That's what? Although told. he's a wonder kid, I will I will give you this advice for free. The wonder kids in Tottenham's academy aren't the ones that make it. This is a good point. That's actually something we should look at some other time. Is how? Actually, I have one other question for you before I let you go, but I'll get yeah, yeah. to that. How <laughs> it is that Harry Kane becomes the superstar, and yet that wing fella Edwards. Yeah, Marcus Edwards, um, Marcus or Suleiman Koulibaly, who was supposed to be way better than Kane as a forward prospect in our academy. Yeah, what, what, you know, what's going on? I genuinely think that there is like a level of anointedness that happens when you're the Tottenham Academy prospect. Because it was Onoma briefly before Edwards. Um, and I just think you get this, uh, it was Townsend before that. Uh, yeah, you just kind of get this crown. And I think... For some reason, this may happen elsewhere as well, but it Tottenham, it's every time. It just seems like whoever that crown prospect is gets involved in senior training, thinks that they're, they've already made it, even though they haven't made it on the pitch, and then they relax. And then somebody that they've been burying in like the U-17s, even though they're already 19, just fights for it every day. Like That's how Harry Winks made it through. Mm. Like He was just... I think they get incensed by the level of praise that's heaped on whoever the top one is. And then the top one fails because they have all the praise. And then all of a sudden there's pressure and it doesn't work out. Uh, Cameron Carter Vickers at the back line, Milos Velkovic uh, at the back as well was another one of those kind of heralded ones, which is why it's like Oliver Skip was not the best midfielder in our youth Academy, but he's the one that got the chance with the team. It's same with Ryan Mason in central midfield. Wow, a lot of central midfielders. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I think that that's largely it. The the person that gets chosen is the next one. Like Pochettino said, Marcus Edwards was potentially as talented as Messi. And he knew Messi. That's obviously. never a good thing to say about a young <laughs> player. Like, that's just not Correct. going to help. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that's... I. If I had to guess, that's it. If somebody gets crowned, 
then it's a it's a combination of either thinking they already made it or the pressure that's heaped upon them because of it and then somebody else behind them gets resentful works their ass off and then ends up actually being the team uh, the, the player to make it into the team okay so from what i can gather uh, aaron skinner was at bury for a number of years um did really well in their youth setup and then obviously what happened there happened there uh, you guys grabbed him about six months ago, and he's made a big impact on your under-18 team, and you've now signed him for a professional contract. Um, yeah. Go us. In right. this economy? Sergio <laughs> Dest. Oh. Heard of him. Yeah. Me and Carl were talking about this recently. What do you think of him declaring for the U.S. rather than waiting for the Dutch team? Because I know you have interest in both teams. I do. Obviously. Um, so he's also a right back, which you could have interest in him from a third team. Sure could have. What do you think of him declaring for the U.S. national team and, and pinning his, his flag to the mast? It, it was a huge celebration here in the States when that happened. And by huge, I mean within the soccer community, not huge in terms of the actual country itself. Um, but yeah, obviously it, it was a huge gift for the U.S. It's always a little weird though, isn't it? When a player that talented is like, I'll go to the worst of the two teams that I'm eligible for. Um, but there's <laughs> – it's DeAndre Yedlin is the competition, right? Who's literally a sprinter that – casually understands the necessity to kick a ball while doing so. Mm. Um, so he, he's going to get minutes, obviously, but it's not like the Dutch national team continually pumps out amazing wingbacks. Even when you have one like Jetro Willems, they're like horribly injury plagued. Ah, I forget the, the right back that played for most of qualifiers. He actually yeah, looked really, yeah, yeah. He, he looked really good for the national team. And then I watched some club matches and wasn't too particularly inspired. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, I think the worst thing that could happen is if Dest does actually make that move to Bayern Munich. Although I'm sure Canadians aren't too upset by how Alfonso Davies has been playing um, when he's gotten on the pitch. But yeah, I, I was very surprised that he picked the, the U.S. men's national team. And I, I'll obviously watch him uh, for them. With this, what is meant to be a golden generation, but all of a sudden Pulisic McKenney isn't really working out the way that people would have hoped. Partially because Pulisic moved to Chelsea, right, as they had a flux of internal options at that position. But yeah, was was obviously very surprised that he picked the U.S. And I, I will say, not sure it's the choice I would have made. Yeah, it's not probably not the choice I would have made. Although I do think you know. He can go there and be a star for the U.S. national team. And he's almost sure. nailed on to be a starter for a long, long time. Um, and look, I know McKinney's, you know, maybe not where he was expected to be, but he's, you know, he, he is a good player. Um, oh, like Jetson, I don't know what his best position in midfield is supposed to be yet. I don't think anybody does yet. And I think that's part of the issue. I think Tyler Adams is another one like that. Yep. Who's very oh, really like the look of him in the summer, though. But what's his best position? We don't know that yet. And Pulisic, I mean, just having those four alone, that's four very, very talented young players, all playing for high-profile European teams. Yeah. Which I mean, we're going to start making World Cups again. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Because like, the, the U.S. haven't had this before, where you've got four elite pretty elite young talents in in dest mckinney adams and pulisic all at high profile clubs 
um, well, I don't know if Leipzig's a high-profile club, but they're certainly a known club and they're certainly a very good mm-hmm. team. Like, the U.S. haven't had this before. Now, the other thing they haven't had is that their neighbours to the north probably have the most talented young player currently representing a North American team. Yeah, and um, the manager is still a big question mark in the U.S. But Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> but, I mean, it's, it's a really exciting time for North American football. Um, you know, Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David... Um, for for the Canadians, these four, for you guys, the World Cup coming in 2026. You know, we saw what 94 did. There was a big explosion of interest. Yeah. And a lot of players came along after that. Um, and maybe we'll see the same again this time. Hopefully we will. I'm expecting Fingers big crossed. things. But, um, yeah, listen, anything you want to plug, anything you want to let people know or make them aware of before we let you go? Uh, yeah, so the EPL Roundtable, obviously the show I'm on, Dave comes on for our yearly transfer things, although there might be exciting news there uh, coming. <laughs> I'll let Dave share that whenever he wants. Um, but yeah, so EPL Roundtable, we have three shows kind of, not kind of, we have three shows literally going on at the moment. The Premier League show, which seems to be ramping back up as news is coming out far more regularly about Project Restart. We have the new Bundesliga show at Bundesliga Pod. It's called Bundesliga for Beginners, and it's basically... Me and Jamie and Jim, who have watched the Bundesliga for roughly three weeks, asking loads of questions to John McKenzie, who writes about German football, and answers all of our questions like, why are there so many memeable scorelines in the logos of Bundesliga clubs? So if you've had questions like that before, check that out. We also have the championship show that's talking all things EFL. And Dave obviously earlier mentioned the importance of the lower leagues towards the health of the Premier League. So be sure to check that out as well at Championship Pod. I personally am on Twitter at Kevrov. So this is why you're one of the best, Kev. You saw a sliver of an opening in the market, and next thing you have a podcast, Bundesliga for beginners. <laughs> for me, I see that opening. I'm aware of the opening. I have the idea to fill the opening, and then I just can't be arsed. <laughs> <laughs> and by the time I get round to doing it, there's four other podcasts. In that opening. So, you know, I do have something on the back burner that I am working on. Um, but, it, you know, it, it'll probably be next season before I really um, get get deeply into that. Um, but it's something it's something I'm looking forward to doing and something I know you're going to have a little bit of help, a little bit of involvement helping me out, Kev, because I'm going to be leaning on my on my friends here <laughs> to make up my own deficiencies. <laughs> uh, so that's it. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this. It's obviously a tough time for everybody. We want to thank everybody who's kind of stuck with us here at at, at Anfield Index and especially with Anfield Index Pro through this. I hope you're still enjoying the content on Pro. A lot of good stuff there. A lot of new podcasts. Um, We're trying to, you know, deliver as much content as we can because, you know, you run out of things to watch on Disney Plus and Netflix and and prime and hulu and whatever else um so we're, we're trying to you know give you as much content as possible i hope you're enjoying it hope you're all staying safe staying indoors and if you are listening to this from america or from the uk the next time there's an election you have such a big responsibility <laughs> get rid of the people currently in office and replace them with competent public servants who are there to serve the public and not themselves thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time
Social Podcast Network.